Welcome to Storytelling with Lindsay Bednar. I want to start with reading the inscription you wrote to me. Oh, what does that say? Do you remember? (laughs) Nope. It says, Lindsay, thank you for helping me create this beautiful masterpiece. Yes, it is. Allowing Josie to be seen and heard. The ripple of this is bigger than either of us will know. Can't wait to see what 2022 has in store for us. Hold on. You matter. Amanda Lynn. Wow, that is crazy looking back and then thinking of all that has transpired in this past year. Yeah. I am holding the book and uh, reminded of how beautiful it is from the feel to the design and remembering the various stages we took in bringing the cover together. Yeah, (laughs) it was a journey. It was. To put thousands of words and a titled Shattered Reality into one picture. Yeah, and did it so beautifully. Yeah, she delivered. For those who have not been fortunate enough to read your book yet, give the synopsis for everyone. Yeah, so Shattered Reality, ultimately the storyline begins on November 14, 2007. The day began as a normal November day. I got up, my daughter wasn't feeling well, she hadn't been feeling well for a few days. My fiance at the time needs to stay home because I had just started a new position at a world-renowned medical institution and was only two weeks into the job. So me calling in was not going to be an option. Go about my day and about 4.23, I believe, was when the email came through from my mom questioning if I had heard from my 19-year-old sister, Josie, as her boss had called and said that she had not shown up for work, which was not the norm for her at all. So from there, everything transpires. What starts as a normal day ends as the worst day of my life. Uh, I refer to it as the 9-11 of my world. How something is before this phone call will never again be the same. And it literally is the shattering of my reality in every sense of the word in ways that I don't even know when that call comes. The stories that you tell yourself in your head versus what's actually happening are two very different things, how you try to process and put it together, how I have to say a lot of things out loud and repeat them because I'm not, it's like my conscious mind can't understand. It's like, I know it, but I don't know it. It's all the things. And um, a majority of human beings have experienced that call in some way, shape or form. For me, it was you know, she had decided to take her own life. So um, this book is specifically around suicide, depression, mental health, mental illness to mental health. It is her being able to tell her story in ways that she could not express herself while she was here. She had a significant amount of journal entries and it was such an honor and a heartbreaking honor to be able to yeah, bring her words to life so that others could feel them, learn from them, experience them, because most of it was all completely normal stuff that we all have dealt with. And yet we've all processed completely different. So it's bringing awareness to trauma and that trauma is not 
you know, what we think it is in terms of it has to be something monumental. It is the way in which we experience something. Yeah. The way one person's trauma can be another person's bad day, right? And it's the same way in which you can have three kids raised in the same family by the same parents, and they have very different experiences and perspectives of their childhood and relationships with their parents. And each person has a very different way of responding to their environment. And so I'm really glad that you said that trauma does not have to be this catastrophic event. It is how we interpret the situation. Yeah, yeah. Anything that we come across. Her journal entries were amazing to read because I saw myself in so many of them. And I kept journals from the time I was in second grade through middle school. And there were some in there where I was unhappy with my body image, or I was feeling really sad because the guy I liked didn't like me, right. or I was feeling left out by my friend group or whatever it was. And, you know, some of that stuff is what she wrote about. And it's very typical teenage stuff, angst and feeling insecure and feeling left out. And so it, it must have felt, I mean, I'm sure it felt so many different things to read those and to feel like, well, Jose, this is this is how we all feel at yeah. some point, right? Yeah. So what was that like discovering those? And, and, and did you see any of them prior to her passing? Or was this all come out after the fact? And what was that like? I don't know that I ever realized that she kept journal entries. I know my mom did because it was kind of it was part of her therapy. Uh, certainly nothing I'd read before. We didn't even know that there was letters until the officer brought the journal back and they, without autopsy results, had you know giving the inkling that you know this is a suicide and there are entries and letters in there that you're going to want to read towards the back and so that was kind of the. Okay. Mm -hmm. I dismissed most of the entries that I had read all those entries within a short amount of time after, probably again, a year or two later, uh, my mom had offered her journal when I had told her about the book and that I had signed with you. Um, and I just felt like they were nothing worth reading again. They were just a bunch of high school stuff. I don't remember anything standing out aside from her specific letters to us and her final journal entry. I don't need it. It's just a bunch of high school stuff. So it's fine. Mm, that was your initial reaction. Yeah. Okay. And then a couple of days later, I was like, okay, I'd probably take a look at them again and just see what's in there and having an entirely different perspective mm. of oh my God, there's a lot in here. Like mm -hmm. this is, yeah, we need to share this stuff. Like this is, I'm, I was what, 36, 37 at the time. I can relate to every single one of these. I mean, people of all ages, I had a 57 year old, you know, last spring that was like, I read every single one of those and felt, felt resonated exactly with her. what she was feeling. Yeah. Wow. And the way that she articulated herself, especially at such a young age was so impressive. I mean, some of those entries date back to the age of 12. And I, th I personally think they're well articulated. Not, not many kids can, Absolutely. can write to those things and just basic expression of yeah how she was feeling about it. So 
Mm-hmm. And was there any hesitation uh, as to share them in the book, or did you all recognize that this is something that can be super powerful for people to understand how widely felt a lot of these feelings are that people who leading up to making that final decision, that a lot of what they're feeling isn't unlike what other people are feeling. Mm -hmm. The difference seems to be their hills and valleys for the rest of us. And this is like a, a point they can't get out of or see that way out or that light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. Speak to that a little bit. Like what, what was the, the, did the family all decide like this was going to be something that, yep, I think these will be included or. No, when the journal was offered to me, it was made clear that they were not to be shared. It was like for a reference point. Like if I needed to get into her head a little bit more, maybe to understand a few different things or different perspectives, I was welcome to read them. They were not to be made public knowledge. And I don't, I think that was just probably my mom speaking out of respect to her of these are personal things that she was going through. I don't think that we necessarily need to be sharing that. So I was building chapters off of these. We were building chapters off of these entries. And they did not know that that's where we were headed. Well, we didn't know where we were headed with a lot of things throughout (laughs) either. So there was a lot of things we were piecing together that we weren't really sure where we were going with it. But I picked out, I don't even know how many entries I have in there, maybe five um, that I felt were the most profound um, and that I was able to easily write reflections from. And my mom didn't even read the rough draft of the rough draft until September of, so we were nine months into the process yeah, and pretty much had the layout complete. I mean, we, we did some rearranging, but the chapters themselves were pretty solid. Yeah. So they were not aware that this was where we were going with things. And I never heard a word about it as far as, no, that's not okay. Um, Please remove this. Nothing. She was very, very receptive to it. And yeah, it all needs to be in there. That's great. Yeah. I think when anybody brings forward a story that is difficult and there, it involves trauma or involves anything in your life that you've been really grappling with and struggling with. I think a lot of people have that question of why choose to bring it forward and what led you to that decision? Why a book? So, yeah, uh, writing is something that's always just come very naturally to me. I, when I was younger, I would like rewrite poems and song lyrics and just I've always been like a words person. I don't know. I just knew for years I had to write a book. I would say it and have no idea what that meant. I would just say, I know that I'm here to write a book and I know that it's going to be about her and her story and how it impacted mine. But I don't know what that's going to look like moving forward or how it will ever come together. In 2015, I started a blog And everything was written in past tense, but I was just going back and reliving each stage of grief and how I worked through it. So to 
go back and forth between past and present tense was an entirely different process for me to have to sit down and write everything as if I'm reliving it in present tense. I am there in the rawness of it. Like I remember sobbing, just sobbing and sobbing, writing it in past tense, looking back on it, but to have to write it as though and remember the details and the, yeah, was was a whole different experience. I would say it's, it was the entire thing was divinely led. Yeah, it wasn't really like me. I remember going into print and saying, if I die tomorrow, I can say that like, I completed my soul's mission. I was literally here to write that book. And if all else ends, I'm okay. This just had to happen. Like she made this choice. And this was more or less my job to speak to it. Mm. Yeah, I think that's such an important thing for everyone to recognize is that to say the why behind we go through trauma and grief, you know, that you can't articulate that this, to to say everything happens for a reason is easy to say Mm -hmm. when you haven't experienced that sort of grief and trauma. And I'm also blown away by people like yourself who use that grief and trauma to do something with it and to empower other people to help them get through an incredibly dark time. And so I think, you know, going back to the question, like, why did you write it? Absolutely. I think you were divinely led by Josie. And I think you knew that something really good can come out of this. And I can help people to feel seen who might be struggling with suicidal thoughts, as well as people who have been a survivor of somebody who took their life. So Mm -hmm. It's funny because it's like the whole time that we're working on this project, there's we're we're making sure that we are trying to cater to as many audiences as we can. Like it does mm-hmm. not have to be just mental health. It can be grief as a whole. If you've lost someone in any way, shape or form, bringing empathy to the fact that someone would choose this path because... I would say I've had the least amount of tolerance for the comeback of suicide is selfish. Mm. That is a triggersome statement to me because if you have not been in the depths of this mental, emotional hell yourself, you cannot understand how heavy it is to be there and the weight in which it carries, which she speaks to perfectly in her last letter. I mean, she does such a nice job articulating where she's at. And it's just overwhelming. We don't expect a cancer patient to continue down the road of treatment if they know that ultimately, you know, to suffer if they don't have to. And yet we 100% expect someone that is struggling mentally to suck it up and buck up and work through it because we need you here. That's what we expect of you. And this is about us, not you. So it was a very fine line of teetering of if someone stops reading on this page, how do we give the message Yes, of we empathize with someone that chooses this and yet we are not promoting this choice. Right. So we were constantly teetering. Of, yes. Well, man, we got to be careful here. Like yeah. this is a slippery slope. We don't want to think that like, yeah, you should absolutely just crank the steering wheel to the right on your right. way home and, and just tap out. Like, but giving empathy to those that the weight has become too heavy to bear. It's, 
it was bringing light to so many different things. And it was constantly trying to, how do we bring in this person? I had been in the depths of this grief and depression myself. So I was able to alchemize that by writing a lot of this stuff. And I, you know, Avalanche, Last Days, a lot of those chapters, like I could speak to it because I had been in it myself. But I must say the entire time we're like analytical about like, so how do we want to go about this? And we need to make sure and da 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 da. And I and I can write the things and I can I can bring this to light through words. But I have zero idea of the impact. Like I I don't feel like I wrote this book because I thought there was going to be some massive impact. I wrote this book because it was sitting inside of me and literally I had this pull for years that it was like write the damn book. That's what you're here to do. Yeah. Yeah. So I can't really say I expected the reactions that I got in any way, shape or form. I hadn't even considered how that was going to look on the other side. It was just like, let's get this thing. Right. <laughs> paper. You need to get it out. Yes. I have yeah. to get it out of me. It's been yeah. sitting in me for so long. I can't keep swimming and drowning and treading in these waters anymore. But that's what's so remarkable about bringing forward a story that you were nudged to write is people are nudged for a reason and they don't understand that that reason is because it is going to connect with so many people. Yeah. The ripple is bigger than it's so much bigger. And a lot of times, you know, everybody we've talked about this. We talked about it during your journey. We talked about this. I talk about it with all my authors, but every author gets to a place in their journey where they have that cold feet. Mm -hmm. Like I, it's either imposter syndrome or they're nervous about how it's going to be received or whatever it is. And so I try to remind people that when you're given those downloads and those ideas to write in those nudges, you can honestly think of it as it's not even yours. This was a gift given to you and all you need to do is bring it forward. Right. And when you can separate yourself a little bit from the vulnerable part of it, that's obviously so much you, mm -hmm. but just knowing that this was something that was supposed to be created mm -hmm. and you just need to take the steps to, to allow it to come out. So, and you will absolutely hit those roadblocks. Yeah, like, you it's will. It's going to happen. In May, it was yep. May of 2021, May of last year. Yeah. Where I was just like, what am I doing? Like I am resurfacing. I was in the, the midst of the heaviest parts of the chapters, still very much writing. We weren't even piecing that much together and was just like, this is so painful for me to relive. Why would I do this to my parents? Why? Why am I making them relive every detail of the worst day of their lives? What is the point in any of this? And then reminding myself that her death was not for nothing. Yeah, I was going to say what helped get you past that point? I don't even know. I mean, I would say it was a ton of coaching on on your part of, okay, we're going to take a break. We got to step back. This is we're it's too heavy. Like we're too in it. Her birthday was a big trigger that year. I wasn't doing well mentally at all. So yeah, I think it was just a compilation of a lot of different things. But just, yeah, you will question your entire journey. What's the point, especially when it's a personal memoir and you are bringing your family into it because you have no idea the ways in which it will be perceived. And I even think realizing what I thought a majority of my family knew 
they didn't like my extended family. There was a lot of feedback on various things that, you know, you, you just assume everyone knows every detail about everything, especially in a small town. Right. Sure. So it's just like, everyone knows everything, but there was a lot of people who had said, thank you for writing that. There was a lot of questions we wanted to ask friends of hers that went to school with her that didn't understand that said, first off, being able to hear from her and her words and where she was at and just putting pieces together that we didn't feel were ours to ask about was, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I just, the the EMT who reached out saying that it was one of the worst calls she's taken. I mean, a high school friend of hers or who was a friend more in elementary, um, they kind of butted heads in high school saying I was going through the same stuff. I had no idea she was in these depths herself. I wish I would have known. I was always jealous of your family and, you know, how your parents left on the weekends and you guys got to hang out or that you had a bunch of cousins and all the, all those things that we're so busy looking at someone else comparing ourselves. Oh, I wish I had that. When someone's looking at you wishing they had what you had. Right. Was a really big eye opener too. Nothing is what it seems. Yeah. There's so many people who have come in and out of this book process from the people who've stepped forward in her life to people that, have been in your life who didn't know the extent of your grief and and everything that they went, you went through. Do you remember how it was that we crossed paths before we started working together? Oh yes, very much. So it was August or September of 2020. I was on Instagram and Vanessa files had shared your post about, and you'll have to correct me what exactly it said, but something about, do, do you, you want, want to, to read, the, read book, the book or, or do you want to be, be the, book? the book? Yes. And it was just, whoa, yeah, I want to be the book. Like, I need to connect with this. And again, here's just like these intuitive hits, these intuitive pings where it's just, I need to explore this. I don't know why. I don't know what it is, but I need to send this lady a, a message. So I reached out to you on Instagram. We set up a call probably within a week or two. I didn't have the funds to proceed and was in the middle of, you know, it's 2020. I mean, who wasn't in the middle of something? Let's <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. be real. <laughs> so I was in the middle of a lot of things at that time and knew that I just, I couldn't do it at that moment. But it was the first time that it was like, oh my God, I'm going to write a book. Like this is actually going to take form at some point. Like I have this grounding agent and we all know I need a lot of grounding. So <laughs> I knew that at some point, yeah, this was actually going to happen. And it was just a matter of time. And then you reached out in December and said, hey, you want to ride the wave and do the thing? And I wrote back and gave you a list of reasons as to why it wouldn't work right now because Minnesota had shut the bars back down. So my second job had been waitressing and bartending. So I didn't have that second income to save up the money that I was hoping. But even though I actually had the time now to do it, I I probably shouldn't because the funds aren't there. 
I don't even remember what my whole list was, but I remember waking up the next day and going, you really didn't need to give her a whole list of reasons why it wouldn't work. I don't think she cares. She was just asking if you wanted to do it or not. And then... That's what we do in Minnesota, though. We have to rationalize all of our decisions. So I can't just say no. I'm going to tell you five reasons why I can't. Absolutely. So, yep. And then a couple days later, I was like... Do you remember how I responded or did I just leave it? You kind of, you, you were pretty good about leaving it. I mean, you were just like, okay, we'll, we'll trust it when it comes, which is good for me. Cause if I get too much pushback that I'm like, no, I, no, I can't. <laughs> right. <laughs> Didn't you read the list? Read it again. <laughs> well, and I'm a huge believer. Everything falls in line just as it should comes together as it should so it's like you planted the seed yeah if I ever get that response I'm like cool this isn't the time clearly and if and when it's supposed to happen it will right so yeah yep and then a couple days later I was like wow you're really good at coming up with all the reasons that you can't so how about you just do it I do remember counting like calculating some finances and realizing that I had more than I thought that I had I thought I was a lot more short on finances than I was. And I was like, oh, I'm actually, that's actually not that bad. I'm, I'm okay. I can- I'm running out of reasons. Yeah. God <laughs> dang. This stuff just keeps backfiring. And then saying, no, let's do it. And I think I wrote back pretty like, let's do it. Forget it. Let's just get on the train. Let's do the damn thing. And then we met after the first of the year and I sat down and went back to, this isn't going to (laughs) work. Because every, the how the book had always played out in my head was it was going to be the entire decade of my 20s, which was one massive shit show after another. And it all let, you know, it all snowballed together and it had to be written together. And so it had to go from her taking her life to me just not being able to take my head off of the pillow to a terrible divorce and separation. Like all of it was one right after the other. And I realized that I I didn't want to speak to the divorce component. And so I couldn't do it if I couldn't do it the way that I had always seen it being done. So it probably just wasn't going to work. And I, I didn't want to deal with all the logistics of the community and my ex-husband and and all the things that were going to come from this. I was not ready to take the beating. I was not willing to, you know, change names to modify the story in any way if it couldn't be told in a way in which I in which it happened and from my perspective then I wasn't going to tell the story. Right. And so I made myself pretty clear that this wasn't going to work again. And then you came up with all the solutions. And I was like, God, this sucks. I'm never going to get out of this. Like, how do I just ask her for a refund? Like, short of saying, but can I just have my money back? Didn't I send you a cashier's Uh check? I do have an out clause, but I wasn't going to let you sneak away that easily. And then being like, oh, my God, I'm really in it. So I think every author is it goes through these. I, I mean, I guess you can speak to this more maybe this is just my journey. But yeah, the imposter syndrome, all of it, like you're, you are going to second guess yourself multiple times along the way. What am I doing? Why am I doing this? What's the point? 
Who's going to care? Am I ready for the negative yeah, kickback? Who am I, yeah, who am I right. to do this? Right. Yeah. Yeah. All of it. And then people always get to the end where they want to share it with family member, a loved one, a really good friend. And I'm always like, I don't know if I would do that. And they're like, oh, okay. Well, you know, I trust this person's opinion. I want, you know, yeah. whatever. But there is an interesting thing that happens when people release something that is vulnerable, often just because it's creative. But a lot of times, some of the people who are closest in their life get either triggered. There have been situations where people are oddly competitive, um, but it's not always the best idea to share it with like your closest people because it's almost like they're too close to the situation in some way. And mm -hmm. it could be as a, a simple children's book, or it could be a very a vulnerable memoir. It really doesn't matter. There's always going to be somebody who gives you some sort of feedback that is deflating. Mm -hmm. And it's usually not like <laughs> accurate or great feedback in or my opinion. Or right. Yeah. They're, they're too close to the situation. Cause that was in July was when I wanted, like, I need my mom and dad to start reading this because this is going to take them a while to process and I need to give them time. And you had said not right now, like mm -hmm. they can't see where we're going with it. We don't necessarily know right. where we're going with it yet. And it's too early in the process. And this is really raw for them. And to put Josie's stuff out there without realizing the impact that this could have once we piece it all together. Right. It's too soon. And me thinking, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like they need to start reading now because it's going to take them so long. But yeah, you were you were right. Yeah. And it, I, I laugh because I tell people it's kind of like telling people what you're going to name your baby before the baby arrives. Sure. Because <laughs> you'll get all kinds of like, unsolicited opinions like oh, really you know because they know there's a little bit of wiggle room where you could still change the name right but when the baby comes and you're like here's the baby's name people are like oh i love it right. regardless of how they feel right because <laughs> it is what it is it yeah, is what it it's is it's already made i do remember a life coach that i had worked with years ago saying family is always going to respond out of fear because they are there to protect you and friends are always going to tell you what you want to hear you have to have an outside third party that can look at a scenario and be observant and neutral. Yeah. Because you go to these safe havens, but they're, yes, they serve their purpose, yeah. but are they always really helpful? They're either, you know, just going to keep you stagnant because it's like, oh, sure, whatever you want, we're just here to support you. <laughs> right. Or what the hell are you doing? Right. Why, why would you do that? And then you'll, feel like crap because you're going back to this space of not enough, never mind, that's stupid, da 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 da. Where if you have someone from the outside, they're gonna push you into those spaces of they're gonna cultivate yes. yeah, that those ideas, which you did beautifully. I oh, mean, you, you are able to provide this safe space as people work through, you know, some of the most traumatic areas of their lives. Yeah, thank you for that. And I've seen it both ways where sometimes it's the friends, not maybe it's not the friends that operate out of fear, but that will have some negative opinion where the family might be just like celebratory. But they're definitely, I've seen it with a lot of 
projects I've worked on where there is fear that comes from the family sure. and how they is this going to, to be you. received? Yeah. yeah. And it, I, I get that it, it, it's good intention. So they think, but anything that's rooted in fear is uh, what we want to run away from, right? right. Because it's, it's not going to have a good outcome. So I would say, you know, yours especially was particular to how will this be received for a myriad of reasons. But it is one of the things I feel like as my job as an author coach, and I always tell people I'm an author coach first and a publisher second. Like I, I learned the whole publishing world, but what is my innate quality is really helping people get out of their own way and just showing them like, actually you can. And this is, I, I chose to work with this because I believe in it and I need you to believe in it too. Yeah. And it's a good place to be when, you know, I don't have to pick up every project that comes my way. I only work with books I want to work with and people I want to work with. And man, did we have a lot of fun in oh, a we year did. <laughs> putting <laughs> this together. I mean, sometimes our, our meetings would turn into two because we would spend the first hour just talking about, I mean, mind you, we're, we started working together in 2020. So yeah. there was always a, <laughs> topics of conversation yeah, to be had. I mean, ton of material <laughs> and just processing everything and, and watching how society was processing it. And so which was a trauma in and of its own. Yeah. Yeah. While I'm working through, you know, my personal trauma and seeing some of those parallels as far as right. yeah, collectively what we're going through and personally. That, it was a wild year for you to do this project, <laughs> but also beautiful in that we were gifted that time to, to slow down and to tap into our creativity. And it was one of the biggest silver linings of the pandemic is COVID, whatever people want to call it. Right. <laughs> that time of the shutdown is when we we saw everybody really simplify, get in touch with their creative self and and yeah. Just recalibrate. Everyone was forced to recalibrate in some way, good, bad, or otherwise. It is Absolutely. what it is. But I mean, I, I also went back to a lot of unhealthy coping mechanisms during that year too. And to be honest, I had fun doing them because I let myself go a little bit more where before I was super rigid and feeling like I had to be someone different and I'm in the school systems and I have to act like this and do this and da 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 da. And you don't get to go out and have fun. And well, and speak to that, that guilt, because you, you talk about that in the book, but it's something I hadn't considered a whole lot until we started working together is feeling like you weren't allowed to have fun, to smile, to enjoy yourself. Yeah. Every part of. Amanda and who she was prior to November 14, 2007 needed to never resurface because that Amanda, the fun, loving, free, let's do life. Let's party. It's all good. Go with the flow. Who cares? Buck up. Let's rock on was the person that missed every red flag that led to this moment. So you are not deserving of any part of that life anymore because you missed it. You missed her. You 
you didn't, you didn't pay close enough attention. You didn't see the signs. You didn't, you were too in your own world. You were selfish. You were all the things. So you Mm. have to modify every part of yourself. Yeah. And, and revamp and take it seriously and be rigid and hate yourself every single day for everything that you should have known better. The shoulda, coulda, wordas will bury a person alive on this side of suicide. Like I don't have anything to compare death to aside from suicide. So I, I can't speak to the cancer journey or all the other ways, the the tragic car accident, all the things. But ugh, when you cannot save someone from the depths of themselves, it is the worst, most helpless feeling to know that they felt that there was no other way out aside from this. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the guilt is, it's monumental. I, I don't know many on the other side of suicide that wouldn't, can't speak to how soul crushing it is. What has helped you through that process, do you think, the most? Obviously, we, we discuss this in the book, but what do you feel like were some of those pivotal moments that started to allow you to smile again, to dance, to appreciate keeping who Amanda's always been and her spirit alive? So, I mean, I always had snippets of it, but it just never felt like real or authentic probably until 2020 when everything started shutting down. And I felt like I don't want to live under this microscope of not being able to do it was almost like this, like, I've been doing this, and I I don't want to do it anymore. Like, I, I want to be able to go out and have a good time and laugh and have some drinks and dance and do the thing that I've told myself, even when if I was doing it, it, you know, check yourself, check yourself, you know, stay in line, you don't really deserve this. But I would say the pivotal moment was in July of 2021. I was with one of my best friends from high school, Emily, and um, my cousin Liz, and we were discussing how the book was going. And I was just having a bad week that week anyways. And I actually think that was like the week that I had written Six Feet. And it was just, yeah, it was kind of an avalanche. And me talking about just like how much I missed, how many things I missed that I yeah, like, God, Amanda, had you just been able to step outside of yourself, you would have seen the pain. How did you not know that? And reading the journal entries from Josie talking about how great I was and how foreign that was to me. What do you mean I was great? How, how could you say that? And Emily saying, don't you remember me like yelling at you at one point and saying everything that you're saying doesn't even make sense? That's not at all how I ever perceived you and Josie. You were so good to her. You were so nice to her. You always included her. I never did that stuff with my sister. Mm. And the only thing you can ever see is everything you did wrong. Mm. And I think that was like, okay, Amanda, this is her writing. You want people to see her and listen to her, hear her in her own words. Why can't you when it comes to her speaking about you? Mm -hmm. Like maybe you didn't do it all wrong. Like she referred to me as her best friend and it was like, what? Mm. What are you talking about? It'll be okay as long as I have Amanda. What? Mm. So we brought Emily in to do... Uh, reflection piece 
to show how different our perceptions were and how trauma blocked me from seeing anything good because all I could focus on was everything I had done wrong. And Emily was like, well, from the outside looking in, that's not at all how it was. Mm. So I think that was a a monumental turning piece for me of really being able to let it go. Like Josie at no point thought you did her wrong. Right. You can quit beating yourself up day in and day out. Wow. It only took 13 years. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. But what a turn. Yeah. No, it was. I mean, and this book, I mean, just that's another thing that I was going to say. I remember kind of leading into the, you know, the publishing, the editing, the the grind work of all this, because the writing for as painful as it was and as many tears in the making as it took, it was the easiest part for me, not necessarily emotionally, but just for me to put these words together and let them flow through me. I don't necessarily feel like I had weeks worth of writer's blocks, like things moved very... When we had to take a step back, it was because I emotionally couldn't handle the weight of continuing to write right? because it was coming out of me so rapidly and so heavily. But (laughs) I remember the most frustrating part being how many times we had to read the book. And then (laughs) after the 25th time, I'm like, I don't even want to read my own words ever again. And then you saying, okay, now you're going to read it all out loud. (laughs) And being like, oh, my God, you can't be serious out loud. And then you saying, have you sat down and read the book just to read the book? Do you have any idea what you have here? Like, this is big. There's something big here. And me going, no. (laughs) The only thing we've been doing is editing and critiquing. And I can't stop critiquing because Uh there's a billion more things every time I read through it that I want modified and fixed. And this was, no, we need to go somewhere else with this and da, 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 da. And you saying, okay, now I want you to sit down and read the book as if you're just a reader. And I want you to see what you've got. And me going, are you kidding me? Like, first <laughs> off, I have to read it again. And how would I ever step out of the critiquing? Uh-huh. So it wasn't until after it was in print that I was actually able to sit down with a book in front of me instead of this Google Doc on a computer where it was edit, 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 and comment, 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 and be like, that proof. Huh. Yeah. I guess, guess it isn't too bad. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe people will actually read it. (laughs) I hope I can sell 15. (laughs) If I can sell 50, I'm going to feel really good about this. (laughs) Oh, how you undersold yourself. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, I don't even feel like it's me. Like so much of this book, I do not feel, uh, I mean, you were a part of this process as well. Probably for the first three months from fundraising to well into... February, March, I had a really hard time taking any positive feedback. Like it was nice to see people giving good reviews and sharing and whatever. But for the most part, all I could focus on was this book would have never been written had she not made this choice. It is really hard for me to be able to take any compliments when her life was the cost of this. So that 
again, took months for me to work through. Like, I don't know how I was perceived from the outside if I was perceived as, you know, cocky or, oh, she thinks, you know, but internally it was very, very hard of take the take the compliment. Like, it is what it is. It's not like she's going to come back if you don't. And I think you had said that, like, the outcome of this is not going to change whether you choose to be proud of yourself for what you wrote or not. And me right. just thinking, yeah, but it was always, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, but she died. Like this book would not be in print had she not died. And then someone pointing out, do you see the ripple effect now after a few months of it being out and sales doing really well and feedback being good and someone saying, but do you see the ripple? Her death was not for nothing. Like this is bigger. She, um, this had to happen this way because you needed to put it into words for other people to be able to process and understand and relate to. So like you're a team, like you and her, you're still doing great things, even though she's not here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh man. And so true. Uh, You know, I think the guilt from anybody who has, been on the other side of suicide is is gotta be uh, weigh you down in ways that are just unmanageable, especially from any other grief. But what you were able to do with her story and help so many others to feel seen and to feel like they're not alone in their grief journey. There's so many pockets of people that you tapped into with this book, and we're just scratching the surface of it, really. Um, I can't imagine anybody not finding several nuggets in the book where, where that doesn't resonate with them. You know, and I think that's one of my favorite things about this is, yeah, it's your, your sister's story and your journey, but it's so universal as to trauma and grief and um, finding joy and uh, finding methods that work for your own mental health. And that's something that I wanted you to speak to too, because I know that that was a journey for you, finding those methods that worked. Yeah. Uh, it, It was definitely a long journey. So just back to the grief part, when I was doing the Kickstarter fundraiser and people were sharing and writing posts of their own. One of my cousin's like classmates or friends had shared and did a tagline of everyone is grieving something. And I've just kind of ran with that since because there has been so much feedback about I don't know suicide, I don't know struggle with mental health, but and I don't know grief, but I could relate it to my divorce or how I thought my life was going to turn out and how vastly different it actually looks and having to grieve yeah what I yeah. I had hoped would be be or for my children or all the things absolutely so I think that is a really important aspect as well as like it we did try to a lot of people say like you have to have a target market and we had talked about a target market well who are we going after with this book and i really did not want i don't like the idea of having like most of these conversations are universal why do i have to find one slew of people a certain age demographic gender race you know 
economic status, whatever it is. Why? Why do I have to? Why are we only, why can I only focus on mental illness? Why can I only focus on grief? Why do I have to, yeah, suicide? Like I, I even was apprehensive about even promoting this as suicide, mental health, mental illness. Cause it's like, it just feels so constrictive because it doesn't have to be just that conversation. It can be a plethora of conversations because throughout your life, we've all been on the roller coaster ride where at some point you have experienced depression, even if it only lasted for a week, you know, it's just like, there are certain chapters that are going to resonate Mm -hmm. whether you were medicated or not, or you were, you know, in an insane asylum or not, or close to taking the pills, pulling the trigger, all the things like it's, it's relatable in all the forms. So as far as the healing journey, definitely started with medications, cognitive behavioral therapy, definitely went the Western route. That was the world that I was currently in. Um, and I would say s- serve me, but did not in a lot of ways. I learned a lot about the stats of medications only having a 50% efficacy. Yeah. That was mind blowing to me of how many of these do I have to go through? And uh, there's the possibility of uh, still what 50%? Am I ever going to get better? Them telling me that the overall goal was for me to be able to work through this trauma and be able to transition off of medications, which could not have been further from the truth because for every medication that I took, I ended up with adverse effects and needed more medications to offset. So it just became a spiral. And then I think once you once you get into that divot, you kind of like it there. So then you think you need a med for everything because you're pretty sure you're crazy over everything. So it was years worth of in and out, um, trying this, that, um, being severely over medicated. I had an amazing psychiatrist who was my lifesaver in, oh my God, he was my saving grace in so many, so many ways and just kept me grounded and, just working one small step at a time, had a lot of years worth of experience in the medication world. So was able to give insight on a lot of different things surrounding yeah, medications. And then finally transitioning into the quote unquote alternative world of medicine, which makes no sense to me because isn't it's it wild it's called alternative it's been here stuff, longer right. than anything <laughs> any else. pharmaceutical company but okay but it's alternative, it's alternative to what yeah. is currently being promoted so <laughs> right um we we can call it uh i think holistic would be the okay that is yeah, eastern um, medicine holistic yes much much better okay. terminology yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh so i learned a ton about my body as to how I was reacting to certain foods, whether it was just like severe bloating due to what I realized after doing food journals was like peppers. Gluten will still to this day actually just had a brief stint with that last week, realizing that I was eating bread, which I don't usually do a lot of and go into a complete spiral where I will have very depressive tendencies and have a tough time pulling myself back out. I'm so glad you mentioned that because our society does not focus on the gut 
mind connection. Mm -hmm. And I'm very fortunate that my sister has the nutritional, functional nutritional background. And that's what she does to help explain so much of what our dopamine, our happy chemicals, I'm probably going to say the wrong chemical, but so much of our mood is derived from our gut. And it's no secret that our society is wildly unhealthy. And so you think about the rise of all of these rates and depression and everything, and we're not doing enough to talk about how our physiology is playing a part in that. Right. Yeah, from lack of movement to, yeah, just what we're, the average American diet, uh, you it's pretty tough to get around mm-hmm. <laughs> most of any of it, really. Like, it takes a lot of... Right. And you go to a grocery store and it's mostly products with a little bit of produce in the inside. Right. Yeah. And even organic, like, I mean, you just, you know how damaged the soil is, like... Right. Even organic is not, it's not what it was 30 yeah. years ago. It's yeah. just not, you are not getting the same amount of nutrients. And that was a huge educational piece for me doing nutrition response testing was having to learn, yeah, the education behind all this. Did you know that in 1930, the amount of nutrients that you got out of a cup of spinach would now take like 15 cups of spinach to get that same nutrients? You know, like it's just basic things that are, you're going to have to work twice as hard to right. get half of what we used to get nutrition wise. So yeah, there, there was so that was a huge learning curve, very mind blowing and yet made sense in so many ways as I continued to learn. And you, you know, again, have to learn the mind body connection of yourself. I'm ingesting this. This is what's happening. I'm having these responses. Oh, okay. Probably shouldn't have peppers anymore. Oh, look, when I get off of gluten, you know, yeah, if I go back on it for a day or two, it's no big deal. Day three, whoo, I'm, yep, I can't hardly control what I got going on up here. This is not good. I'm irritable. I'm all the things. Yeah. So that, that was a big, big part of the life coaching was huge from the perspective of just understanding yourself at a cellular level, even how much you're taking on when you're in the womb, when you're a young child, all these things that you are subconsciously becoming accustomed to, you're learning to operate in a way you don't even, you know, to fit into this tribe, to this society, to this, this is how I get attention. This is why I do the things that I do, because then they see me then, you know, if you're cute, you're more likely to be seen. If you are good, they'll listen if you all the things. So very much my mom had me at a young age. So learning that I was kind of coming into this world fighting for my space either way, because I wasn't exactly wanted, not that I wasn't loved, not that I didn't have a good family structure. But I mean, you're 16. Like, right. Come on. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, that's not the average, you know, 16, 17 year old's dream is, yeah, I can't wait to be a mom like in nine months. Um, so it comes with its own emotional upheaval and you're taking all this on and just like societally, you know, my parents didn't live together. That was the eighties. You don't just like, you know, move in together and play happy family. So, you know, I grew up with or the first couple of years were heavily impacted by my mom's parents and siblings. Um, yeah, I mean, just all these all these dynamics. And then you realize that, oh, man, 
this is how I'm showing up in the world and this is why I do what I do. And it's that inner child work. Yep. That is the sucks. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, it it's does. not fun. Right. You know, and it's, it's a lot of heavy conversations, hard conversations with family of, you know, why, why, why was this the way it was? And then being able to realize that once you're a parent or once you're in these situations, like, yeah, I could see how that played out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I couldn't when I was that age because I can't understand those things. I'm just feeling them. Everything feels tense. It feels off. Right. There's stress in the household. She's screaming and yelling and he doesn't want to be here and, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, all the all the things. And it's and that's in your cells. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And I, I talk about that in the acknowledgments, even with Gabby, it's just like on a conscious level, you do not remember, you know, Josie. But you were very much there in that household as they were working on her, like on a cellular level, you took on that trauma, whether your conscious mind remembers it or not. And those are things that we also aren't educated about, don't know to pay attention to. Things make so much more sense when you can understand someone from those levels. Yeah. Right. And I think people shy away from the inner work so much, not just because it's hard, but people have this misconception that it starts to assign blame. And it's like, well, no, it, it it's not bad or good. It just is. So right. something happened, let's say your parents did some parenting way or whatever, while well, they learned it from their parents and it came down the lineage. And unless we do the work to change it and, and to disrupt those patterns, they're going to subconsciously continue. Right. And the more we communicate openly about, where those things stem from. And I mean, not only is that a difficult thing to do, but we're also in Minnesota where we don't talk about right. <laughs> hard things. We, we, we talk about all the good things. Right. But culturally, we have a difficult time talking about the tough stuff. Yeah. Well, and just societally, like uh, just from the perspective of social media, our lack of vulnerability is massive these days. Like we all have, we don't have to, to have hard conversations like we used to either. Right. Because we could just text or not or Right. We can just leave someone on scene and we'll let them know yeah. that we're not yeah. feeling it. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> we got all these other ways to work around things. So it would just be easier to 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 not do it at all and pretend it didn't happen because that's pretty easy when you just swipe right or all the things, right? So but I just think it's so much easier for me to empathize with someone. But I I do agree. It's hard not to have blame in the beginning because it's like, why? Why did you do that? Like, why didn't you realize that that's how it impacted me? Or no, of course you didn't because you only know what you know at the time. Like you don't know what you don't know. And everyone gets to that's the beauty of hindsight. And the curse of hindsight is it's 2020. But I do think you gain so much more empathy for your parents and your family and just other humans when you understand where their behaviors came from or how they came about or why they operate the way that they do. Because it's like, okay, I can work with that and I can understand that now. Right. You know, absolutely. Now I get where I would still like to say some colorful words, but it. And it doesn't always excuse the behavior, but it's just like, it makes sense at least like, okay, yeah, that happened to you. And, you know, yeah, it's that it's not what's wrong with you. It's what happened to you. Just again, all of these things that 
you know, through the alternative world that you just learn to look at things so differently and not rely on the quick fix, the, yeah, it's like, there's so much more here and I don't want to live. I don't want to be on 160 milligrams of Ritalin, not understanding why I out of nowhere seem to have OCD. And apparently my blood pressure is extremely (laughs) unhealthy along with my triglycerides. So many Uh, cholesterol, cholesterol meds and high blood pressure meds. You know, it's just right. And the spiral. And it's like people don't, again, they don't know what they don't know. Right. And, and thank God for Western medicine. There's no question. Oh, right. No, it it served its purpose for sure. And there is a difference between treating the symptom or getting to the root of the issue. Mm -hmm. And, and sometimes you have to treat the symptom in order to get to the root while you're doing. Yeah. I had to be on medication to calm myself, to even know how to work through. If you're in a fight or flight and your nervous system is hijacked, right? you aren't going to be able to look at a root or uh, any of it because you can't see beyond right here, right now, tunnel vision. Right. Oh my God. <laughs> my life is ending. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems to be that there's too much of this, you either utilize Western medicine or you're fully Eastern. But there's there's such a crossover of what is there can be a bridge. There can be a bridge. And and like you said, sometimes you have to deal with the gaping wound before you can get to why it got there in the first place. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean everything serves its purpose. It's just knowing that your body has the ability to heal, you have the ability to understand things. I mean, there are other perspectives out there. I don't know that I would have been able to pull off of the medication had I not known that gluten was a huge trigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I would have kept overeating it, then I wouldn't have. And another another thing when I had first went in to be tested was also realizing that I was all like, he had asked, do you eat much for like red meat or burger or steak? Or, oh, no. Ah, just chicken and fish. So I pretty much, I don't eat red meat very much because they say it's not very good for you. And he was like, you are like severely lacking vitamin B. You need to eat some red meat. And me being like, no, no, the commercials say fish and chicken. Like (laughs) I'm killing it over here with the the whatever diet, you know, the Atkins or whatever's on the market right now. Excuse me, sir. (laughs) And then being like, oh my God, I'm so excited I get to eat red meat again. Right. (laughs) Thank God. I've just been doing it because I thought I wasn't supposed to. But it's like those things that everybody is completely different. And the things that I thought I was supposed to be doing because that's what they tell you is good is not always the case. Like it literally depends on your body. And that's what I love about nutrition response testing and muscle testing is you are asking the body what it needs. It's not someone else telling you. And they're, you know, my body needed medication for a significant amount of time while I was doing this too. Like, mm-hmm. it, Well, and there's not a one size fix all for anything because all of our uh, physiology is so different and we have so many different things playing a part into how we're going to respond to a particular medication or what's the best route for us. And so anytime where there's this blanket, like no, everybody needs to do the same thing for... <laughs> I'm I'm a hard no. I, that's a no for me, dog. Right. Agreed. 
Yeah, so. but we we like to be told what to do. And if they already have it, like the diet plan made out for us, that that probably just be easiest. So I'll just do the fish, chicken, chicken, fish. Okay, we'll just stock up on that and call it a day. Like if that makes my life easier, and you know, it's right. just not knowing that your specific body. Yeah, I was. It was meat. actually depleting me. Yeah, twice as bad. And like B is huge for brain. Oh like, gosh, absolutely. <laughs> and here I am struggling with anxiety, depression, all these things, and I'm depleting myself even further because. No, I, I should just do fish and chicken. Did you have a uh, medical doctor ask you about your diet when you were discussing uh, antidepressants or any of your medications? Not until my cholesterol got bad, which was a direct side effect from a medication. My triglycerides at the age of 28 hit over 800 and I never had an issue wow. prior. And they told me, yeah, that can happen. I was never told that it was a possibility of a response to a medication. You didn't read the fine print on the 20 pages in the packet? Because I couldn't really function. So reading the fine print on anything wasn't, especially in the psychiatric realm. Like these people have all they can do to get their head up off the pillow or function in any way, shape, or form. The fact that I kept my job is still mind blowing to me. Like I just had amazing people around me that I think let me float Mm -hmm. (laughs) and Mm -hmm. knew that that I was just in a total shitstorm. And so I am very grateful to those angels who, you know, made their <laughs> way throughout my life at various times who kept me afloat, but yeah, I I wasn't going to read about what what side effects? And then the flip side of that is if you do read about the side effects, you'll swear to God you have every one of them. Oh. So I don't even know if you should. You'll start like, manifesting what? all kinds I of know. things. I I'm like, yeah. I don't know. There's a fine line there. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. So it's hard to know what. <laughs> yeah. But again, if you can just learn and understand that there are other things that are playing a role in a lot of this, I, I do think, you know, whether it is familial trauma or... Yeah, all the all the things, food, there's so many moving parts, but I have very many times throughout this journey thought we could have saved her if we had known this. Like had I known that you know, what if what if like dairy was you know, she was like loved ice cream. She loved Dairy Queen. She would like go work out and then get a large blizzard on her way home. <laughs> <laughs> My mom would be like, well, Jules, that's not really how it works. Okay. Uh, Balance. (laughs) Yeah. In a large, huh? Okay. But it's just like all these things that I remember so many times being like, it could have been different. It could have been different. But then again, how I have often wondered, was this my path no matter what she chose? Would I have ended up down this road no matter what? Did her decision, was I going to be here no matter what decision she made? But would I have really taken this path had she not? Well, and what would be amazing is somebody listening to this and starting to take a look at maybe some of those things they haven't, either for themselves or for their kids. Sure. And really turning a corner for them. I mean, like we've talked about before, it is impossible to quantify the ripple effects that this book in your story has had. But the more you can share what you've learned throughout the process, the more her legacy can start to feel like it wasn't for naught. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think it's important to highlight 
there was no part of this journey that happened overnight. I mean, I literally just started with just food journaling to better understand what am I even ingesting? I don't even know. I don't have to think that much about it. And then it was a slow wean off of all obvious forms of gluten. So I was just ordering a burger without a bun. That was just, that was the first couple of weeks was I just wasn't having buns, but I was still eating pasta. And then it was, okay, can, could we withdraw from pasta or just cut down a couple of times a week? How much are you eating it? Oh, well, it shows <laughs> three times a week, I guess. Okay. Can you go down to one time a week? So everything was very incremental. It's not like I didn't have steps back and forth and I was all over the board. I'm still all over the board. Like I said, last week was a perfect example of just that spiral because I was like, it's fine. It's gluten-free banana bread. So I'm good. And it's like, no, I don't do well with any of it. And I know better. So I remember the first time I was put on medication, the doctors advising Nathan to be more aware of me because I was not able to be that aware of myself first off and that we will see it in someone else quicker than we'll see it in ourselves. So I think the same is true when you're modifying, you know, habits of, yeah, watching your kids. Uh, do they sleep a little bit better? Are they less reactive, irritable? You know, when you do less dairy. For my daughter, dairy was a huge trigger, where for me, it's gluten. So, you know, again, everybody's going to be different. But I think it's just having the patience and knowing that if we can just take out a little bit each week, mm-hmm. there's that something because it does add up. Well, and it's easier place to start is, I mean, clearly it's very tied to our mind and and our emotional state, but focusing on health is going to be beneficial all around. So if we can start there and make sure we take out anything that could be disrupting our potential to be our happiest self, that's a beautiful place to start. Well, and I think like when we are on the train of all the fads, we just feel like such a failure because we couldn't uphold all the things. So it's like when you understand that your body is simply operating differently, I feel like that in and of itself emotionally for me was massive of, oh, it's not that I'm doing it wrong. It's that I need red meat. Thank God. Like, I love it. But I was telling myself I couldn't have it because everyone else is not having it. Yeah, my sister's been delving deep into eating for your blood type. And um, I respond really well to saturated fats and red meats. And so keto has been great for me because I also get extremely inflamed with gluten and dairy. So a lot of people eat dairy on keto, but um, I don't. So yeah, and, and for the next person, it might make them feel miserable and weak and not the type of foods that would they would respond to. So yeah, I think just that alone and understanding that like, you don't have to hate yourself because you're doing something wrong. Like that is a huge part of the mental health component is we're constantly, I talk about that in part two with the chapter of the voice, just becoming aware of are these your voices in your head when you talk to yourself? Or was it something you were told and you just keep repeating? You're stupid. You'll never add up. You'll never get it right. You know, all the all the things that we oh, I'm doing this wrong again. God, I just can't seem to figure it out and get it right. You know, all these things were so critical. And it's like, when you can understand that, hey, it might not be anything that you're doing. It's 
again, that you're not eating to your blood type or just to what your body needs. It's okay. Take a breather. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that intuitive eating, you know, a lot of us aren't in tune with ourselves enough to even know what intuitive eating is because our we've been so hijacked yeah. in that fight or flight state that I'm sorry, you want me to what? Get quiet and ask my body what it needs? <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. What is, does my body even know? I don't, yeah, no. Because that commercial will come on and tell me that I don't need the meat, I need the fish. Uh, right. Yeah, because it's going to make me lose weight quicker. Right. You know, and then you hate yourself when you, you drop the weight, but you gained it back. It's just, it's all that emotional teeter-totter and... Yeah, it's, it's all playing a role. Like, it's all interconnected. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And again, Josie's journal entry, you know, talking about her weight and how she felt so terrible. It's like the, all these things play a role. Mm-hmm. And the ways in which we're talking and operating in society, even if we're not directly shaming our kids, but we're talking about someone else that's, you know, they're a fat ass or they are this or da 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 da. They're taking that in and thinking, oh, is that me? Right. Is that, do they think that of me? Body shaming. Yeah, absolutely. Like you might not think you're (laughs) part of the problem because you don't have the direct impact to them or you're not saying it to them, but doesn't mean that it's, yeah, it's not there. Yeah. Well, I hope, I hope that people really listen to that part of your journey where you started to look at all the angles in which you could start to improve on your mental health and it's not just one, it's not just two, but it, it really is circular and looking at every different way that your mood could be impacted. I think that's fantastic. So we're almost to 2023. And where are you now since having released your book? What are you up to? Yeah, so um, I've always said I'm a jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> I, I like to dabble in a little bit of everything. I like to learn about a wide variety of topics and just how to do it better, be better. So I have an office in Minnesota doing craniosacral therapy. I am still involved with the school systems as far as speaking to mental health and some like events like suicide awareness galas and various events, especially since the book that's been really great. My favorite is kind of just being able to have open dynamic conversation, whether it's around grief. Most of them have been around grief, but also the mental health, depression, but just that lost suicide survivor and allowing people the opportunity to speak to yeah, their own stories and where they're at. That's I always say that I process best through communication. I'm a very verbal person. I need other people to bounce things off of so that I can I always say the kids develop my curriculum. Like they tell me where to go next. I just give them feedback forms and I see what they liked and what they didn't. And I just auto-correct from there of, all right, we're going to, you know, do more interactive stuff. Oh, they like this video. And yeah, people are the same. Getting into more retreats and events, you know, just giving people that outlet to kind of take a step back and tap into themselves, even if it's just for an hour of why am I so burnt out? Why do I feel like I can't keep my head above water? I don't know what to do anymore. People are really in crisis situations and it's not going anywhere. And as we continue to see economic upheaval and all the various things playing out, it's, yeah, it's, you know, these are 
these are hard times. Yeah. And cranial was one of the things that you did as a means of processing through all of your grief, correct? And that led you to study it on your own and now you're, you're doing it? No, cranio came about very divine intervention as well. I didn't even know what it was until like last spring. I just stumbled across a course so um, cool. description of it and just had this like, I need to learn about this. Because mm-hmm. I've always been kind of more the energetics, the psychology, you know, like the Reiki energy work, life coaching, that psychology component. Yeah, understanding the trauma, cellular level, familial, ancestral, all that good stuff. Uh, So this was much more working with the physical body, physical anatomy, and kind of bringing it all together, which has been a really cool thing to watch play out. Just understanding how trauma, that shoulder pain could literally be because when you were eight, you, you know, seen something happen in the household that energetically got stuck in the body and it has not resolved itself. So that's been very cool to see it all come together, physical, mental, emotional. But yeah, so it's, again, a little bit of everything. I would love for the book to, you know, be able to build a workbook to be able to put in schools. A school I talked about across curriculum between English and health. So speaking to the editing, publishing component, the writing, what that consists of, as well as the mental health component. Um, having kids do some reflective pieces off of that. Yeah, I, I really like the high school age. They are not ones to share openly, but you put a pen and a paper in front of them mm-hmm. and they will go to town. They're super insightful. Um, yes, they are. They know way more than they lead themselves to. Yeah. And if you just give them the space and the tools to be able to express themselves from certain perspectives, it's pretty cool to see what they've got inside of them. Absolutely. Yeah. They have so much in here, but because they're in high school and, you know, that's a time in your life where you're constantly worried about how others are perceiving you, they stifle it. But man, when they get that paper, pencil, it's my favorite part about teaching is watching what they unravel through their writing and what they share and how resilient these kids are. Yeah. And how well they can articulate them. So, I mean, they really Yeah, they really can. You just got to give them the space to be able to do it. Yeah, I'm always appalled at the one teacher that I work the most with. Um, Yeah, I was just there a few weeks ago. And he's like, every time, like, I'm just appalled at this class specifically, I would have never guessed those to be their answers. Like what? I would say they're they're one of my best classes. And they're struggling that much. They got that much stuff going on at home. You know, the things like, what? Again, the ways in which we show ourselves to the right. world and what's actually happening are are very different. Yeah, very different things. So, yeah. So how is it that people can find your book? Where could they work with you? What are the different ways in which you're connecting with your audience that's available? Yeah. So Shattered Reality by Amanda Lynn is available on Amazon. My website is www.crisisaverted.org. And you can reach out and, you know, we can further discuss speaking engagements, events, retreats, all the ways in which, uh, you know, you think it may be helpful. So 
cranial itself, there's a schedule to book with me in person, but you would just, yeah, reach out as far as events and speaking engagements to further discuss how that looks. Well, I continually get feedback on this book and how it has resonated with so many different people and bringing it forward with you has been one of my most favorite and unbelievable experiences to date. Yeah, It's tough to put into words, but uh, a lot of tears, a lot of laughter and all, everything in between. So I'm so grateful for you. I'm grateful for you for sharing your story. And I'm grateful that you're giving people the space to do so, whether in writing or podcast or otherwise, like it's, it's an important it's important that we learn from each other. And I think this is such a great way to be able to do that. And you, you provide the space to do that and you have the demeanor to do it with ease. Like people just naturally feel comfortable around you. Well, so I appreciate that. Thanks for, thanks for being Lindsay Bednar with Rodney K press. We just want to give a big shout out because I cannot wait to, you know, work on our next project and, I would say that's definitely something that's been on the forefront of my mind going into 2023 is how do we tell these people's stories, whether that's from a vet perspective, coming back, PTSD, keeping their head above water, post-military. That's a huge, huge thing that I would love to bring to light. Um, I think that's a community that so badly needs their stories told, and we need to get their stories out to other people to better understand what this looks like and how to support. Yeah, there's there's so many different cool there's stuff so that we yeah. have yet to, yeah. It is. It is. Well, I look forward to more in the future for sure. And uh, thanks so much for coming on. I love you. Yeah. Ditto. Love you too. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, everybody.